podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. It is the Anfield Wrap on your Good Friday. Come on up and talk to Jeff Stelling and Sean Rogers. Uh, they're going there to come. But before then, I've got Dan Vincent, Craig Grimmer and Adam Smith to talk about everything to do with Liverpool, with one eye, obviously, on the weekend's game against West Bromwich Albion. It is Good Friday, Liverpool, so I know a lot of you won't be travelling home. You should be all settled down, uh, having eaten fish, so on and so forth. And so loads of that sort of talk comes out across the radio landscape on Good Friday. But I'm going to just sort of get stuck in straight away which is and, and go on the, on the transfer talk, Craig, which is continuing to shift around the club. Um, you know, it's you feel that, that we're, we're in the warm-up. For, uh, for a fully committed, for what could be the maddest window in many senses in terms of the number of players, the type of players Liverpool, Liverpool are going to be linked to. Everyone last week from James Rodriguez down to Chris Woods. Yeah, I think I think same uh, same things happen, happens every year about this time. that uh, All the talk starts as we get closer to the, out, to the end of the season and uh, and the summer transfer window and that. Um, and yeah, there's a lot of talk at the moment. Um being linked with many different players. Um, whether we necessarily sign the players who are being linked with is, is, is another question, but... I we can't you, sign all of them. No, you can't, <laughs> we can't sign all of them, but we, I think you can clearly see with the type of player that we're linked with what we're going to be prioritising this summer in terms of, for example, left-back. Well, I mean, the, as, as an I'll, I'll come back to you on that, Craig. You know, the, the, all the left-back links appear to be lads under the age of 20, which yeah. is uh, which is quite interesting. And Sessegnon, the Sessegnon talk's going nowhere, maybe despite, maybe because of Fulham's not-for-sale talk. He does look like a footballer. The 16-year-old left-back at Fulham that Liverpool seem very committed to. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and like you say, he kind of fits the, the age profile as well that we're looking at. Um, I mean, as much as Fulham say that he's not-for-sale, I think Fulham are likely to be playing championship football again next season. And I think if, if enough money comes along, then surely he will be for sale. I think that as well, Dan. I think it's... It, I think next season Liverpool start the season with Milner at left back. They may not start the season, sorry, end the season with the same player at left back if if Sessegnon is the the deal he's being talked about. Uh, and that appears to be the profile of signing Liverpool are looking for, not someone to come in now and start straight away at, at left back, but take the position over a period of time. Yeah, it felt like that last summer as well, didn't it? Because um, Ben Chilwell seemed to be the only one that we were linked with. And, and he was of a similar, you know, he's not going to start straight away. He's just going to be understudy to Milner and hopefully take over. But I, I think Sessegnon looks a real player. I, I think if we did sign him, it wouldn't be long until you've seen him playing left-back. I think he, he seems to be one of these kids who, who does just pop up from, from nowhere as such, but looks like he's played for years. You know, he, he doesn't seem like a, 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 you know, a kid who you see now and again, who'll play now and again on the, coming off the bench. You know, he's been quality for Fulham and it might just be the championship, but in a way, that's even a harder education. Well, it's more physical, isn't it? Exactly, as a 16-year-old, like he's only small as well, playing in the championship. I, I think he looks a real player and echoing what Craig said, um, I, I think if the money's, if, if we want to buy him, we'll buy him, won't we? If the money's there, they, they, they'll get him, won't uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I think I think I agree. Even though you say you know he's done done very well in the championship, I think it's still a step up to the Premier League. So if we are looking at a session on someone similar to that, I think you, I agree with what Neil's saying about in terms of probably Milner being there at the start of the season and looking to bring someone in uh, as the season progresses. You know, giving them some experience, it's still a step up. You know, when you arrive at Anfield. In amongst all of this, Adam, what's what's an honest assessment of Milner's season? Because this is. When I'm looking at the the, the, the the lads who are playing regularly at the moment and say and we can say have been across the course of the season, I think because the seasons it's been it's had this inconsistency it's had so many real genuine high points but it's had some some real low points and some recurring issues it's actually quite difficult to pin down an honest assessment on a few what do you think of Milner across the course of the campaign? I think you're right to 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 not lump him in with but to talk about him in the context of the other players in the team because. When when Milner had probably his worst patch was when everybody else in the team was having the worst patches. But after New Year, that was when Milner was probably you know at his lowest ebb. 
but recently, you know, he's been he's been absolutely fine. You know, I think a lot of it comes down to what you want from your left back, doesn't it? That's that's ultimately what it is. And if you want somebody who is maybe not you know blessed with pace, but keeps running, keeps fighting, keeps going all the way through, and and is intelligent on the ball then I can see why Albi Moreno hasn't got a look in, for example, because they, they are, in every sense, almost direct opposites from each other. You can't imagine Milner going around the place on a on a little uh, powered scooter with his dog on a lead, but that's exactly what Moreno does. That, that You know, Moreno's fast, Milner's not. Moreno's dim, Milner's not. There's, you know, they're, they're polar opposites. So I can see why Milner fits more what Klopp wants. And... I don't know the market well enough to say whether there's a player out there who does what Milner does in terms of graft, but also has the intelligence and the speed that you'd, that you'd want from from that sort of left back player. So, I think an honest assessment is that he's been fine. There's been, you know, there's been very few points during the season when I've thought this is this is a mistake. We've made a massive error here. There was a period where he wasn't at his best, but neither was the rest of the team. So it's difficult to single him out. He's been fine. Do you think that's fair that he's been fine? I think there's a lot of people that will be disappointed if Milner starts next season as Liverpool's first choice left back. Yeah, I mean, I, I made no secret of the fact early on, and you know, early on the season that I didn't want Milner left back at all. I would, I would have started Moreno left back, but he obviously proved me wrong with his performances. And the, the, the best way for me to look at Milner is if we'd signed him last summer as our left back. Would you really be looking at signing another one this summer? That that's how I try to gauge. I think a lot of it's like he's still a right foot in midfielder playing left back, which I still look at him myself like that. But if you're just assessing him solely on this season as a left back, yeah, there's, there's been no issue with him. That doesn't mean a game really where you've come out of and gone that was Milner's fault. That there just hasn't been. Yeah, no, no, exactly. Um, yeah, I think generally over the course of the season, if you to assess it, he's done well, particularly for a player who hadn't played in that position previously. Uh, he's been reliable. I think as fans, we look at it and you, you see him as like a stopgap solution. I think that's probably affects the perception of how he's done this season. But in reality, on the pitch, been very, very few poor games from him. Um, and I think I think Klopp just, he's the kind of player that Klopp just wants to get in the team somewhere. And I think next season, I think we'll still see a lot of him next season, actually, whether it's a left back or not, I think he'll still get his game around, around the team. I think what's yeah. one of the things that's interesting for me on it, Dan, as well, is is the thing, one of the things that just gets overlooked in this is the penalties. Oh yeah, in that because he's made it look like it's a minimum of force and you just score them. Well, there's a lot of people up and down the country who aren't just scoring them. Uh, and he's, you know, he's. I think that you can that you can talk about his goal return, and I actually think he should have a couple more from open play. If I'm honest, yeah. he should have found a way to get a couple more from open play. And and I think at times he's actually frustrated me a little bit more than I would have expected with his decision making in the final third. Yeah. Hull away being an example, but someone who you can, I mean, he will he'll miss one at some point, but someone who you can approximately rely on as the club's number one penalty taker we've seen in the past that that's valuable yeah 100% and I, I try to look at it if Milner didn't take the pens who would even take them for us genuinely there's, there's not there's no not, there's not a standout candidate if he's not playing me oh yeah he definitely takes the penalties but before the season if Milner wasn't here I wouldn't even know who he'd, who he'd give it to but you can't underestimate that it, it's that's Milner though isn't it that's like everything he brings you that, that's his experience well, you know his Go ahead, sorry. No, I was going to say. I, mean, I was going to say in general, you're saying you can't underestimate that in his experience. I think it's. I think it's actually hard across the board in a few senses because of the highs and lows to 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 get to get that assessment on everyone. You know, the goalkeeper, the centre backs. I think yeah. you know it's it, it's become a season that's actually quite difficult to to assess uh, given given the issues that we've had in terms of individual performances. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, it is. It is, and the, the goalkeepers are him. The goalkeeper's a classic one. I mean, me and Adam have said on numerous occasions about Milner. I'm sorry about Minya, like. But again, he's one of them players that if you could take the blinkers off and you think, right, we signed him last, you know, transfer deadline in August and he's played just this season, 
he hasn't done bad. Do, do you know what I mean? He genuinely hasn't. He's, he's been fine, if you like. It's his best season since he joined. It's his best season since he joined us, without doubt. You yeah. know, maybe the maybe the fact that he got dropped for Carius and he knew that Carius was a number one that he thought I've got to step my game up here because now I'm sort of looking and you think was he just resting a little bit the fact that it was only Brad Jones and although he did get dropped a couple of games it wasn't like you knew he was going to come back in whereas this season he's genuinely thought I'm fighting for my Liverpool place here yeah, I mean, you know and he's improved he's improved massively there's no, there's no hiding from it yeah. you know with these, he's improved massively but I probably would have still signed another goalie in the summer yeah but he, he still improved massively yeah, from the player I, I, he was. I think if you look at it and without the baggage, without the history that, that uh, Mignolet brings with him and just look at his performances purely this season, you'd have to be happy. Like, say, if he was a player that he'd signed last summer, um, he's had generally a solid season. Um, to be honest with you, I, I wouldn't necessarily be prioritising the keeper this, this season. I think I think both the, keep, the keeper... Well, Mignolet's done well this season and I think Carries has got room to improve, for improvement as well. Uh, I, I would be prioritising other areas, to be honest. But it becomes difficult. I mean, it's easy to say without the baggage, uh, Adam, it's... it's uh, it wouldn't take much for the for all the baggage to come back out. It'd take, you know, and, and, and goalkeepers are going to make errors in the same way that I was saying before. At some point, Milner makes a, misses a penalty. At some point, and it could be this weekend, it could be next weekend, Mignolet's going to have another bad game. And, and it's it's difficult. You'd worry in general for the club. It's difficult to find peace with the situation. It is. I There's, a, there's quite a lot on Mignolet, I think. I think, for one thing, he doesn't make errors. He makes howlers. That's part of. I think that's part of the problem. It's not that we just, that we just con- he concedes at his near post. It's that he basically rolls the ball out to an opposition player or something mad like that. He, you know, he he does do something crazy. And I was doing a bit of research today, right? During Mignolet's best season so far, excluding this one, he's conceded forty goals, or we have conceded forty goals so far this season. Obviously, it's important in all of this to realise that Mignolet wasn't actually the number one for every single season. But during his best season, other than this season. We've conceded that the, the best he's con- we have conceded as a team is 48 goals. Do you know how far you've got to go back to find a similar amount of goals conceded? Anybody? Uh, I would probably push all the way back to about 98. 98, 99. <laughs> that's, <laughs> right, that, that, that's like incredible. Oh, so, <laughs> I'm taking me top off the back of this, lads. <laughs> that, was, that is the best. That is, sorry, that is how far you've got to go back to get as close to as many goals as we've conceded during Mignolet's best time. Now, obviously, I'm aware that it's not... Not every single goal we've conceded is Simon Mignolet's fault. Totally fair. But everybody, everybody, to a man who supports Liverpool or knows anything about Liverpool, says we need to sort out our defence. You cannot take the goalkeeper who has conceded this, nearly 50 goals every single season during when he's been here. You cannot take him out of that conversation. Well, this, this is why I come back to you on this. This is why I think it's, it, it is difficult to assess because, for instance, I think Lovren's had a good season. My issue with Lovren is injury record. I think Matip's had a good season. If I've got an issue with Matip and I have a little bit again, it's injury record, to be honest with you. I think that Klein's had a perfectly fine season. Uh, I'd say that Milner's had an all right season and I'd echo the thoughts earlier on of of Dan around Mignolet. I think that you can say Mignolet's had an all right season and yet we're going to concede 50 goals. Yeah, and that's and that's part of the... So you, you cannot have a conversation about the defence and say Liverpool needs to sort out the defence and not think that a conversation has to be had around the goalkeeper, how many goals we concede. And also, I would be the first to say, yes, he's improved this season. He's improved things like his punching, he's improved things like, uh, you know, dealing with bodies around him in the box. But I don't think he's he's particularly improved his uh, his communication. 
And I don't think he's particularly improved at distribution. And they are two big things that cause your team major problems. If your goalkeeper is giving the ball away virtually every time he kicks it out, or, you know, or at least several times a match, you're immediately putting yourself under pressure. And I thought actually as, as improved as he was and as good as he was, and listen, those saves in the Stoke game were man of the match performances and he deserved all of the plaudits. But he still had a moment where he kicked it straight out from a goal kick for a throw-in. So, that, you know, things like that, uh, that, that th- these are sort of the wider issues about the goalkeeper. Communication, obviously, it's very, very difficult to know if you're not in the defence or if you don't sort of sit right on the, the line of the of the goal. It's very difficult to know what his communication's like. But we, every single, you know, a lot of the time when we can see goals like the one at Bournemouth, nobody was dealing with it. I see goalkeepers like Schmeichel balling out their defence when something like that happens. He's not a league winning goalie, is he? He's, and that's that, but, which team above us or which team that's also going for the title would want would want Simon Minion. Yeah, no, but you take take another take another angle on that and you could you could you could say which goalkeeper amongst the top six, seven clubs in the Premier League this season has had a genuinely better season than Simon Minier? Like, you know, you look at it, De Gea hasn't had his best season. Coursewell has been okay at Chelsea. Obviously, City have had massive problems in the goalkeeping department. I think Lloris has been okay. Um, you throw Everton into the mix as well. Robles has been absolutely terrible from what I've seen recently. So, I mean, you know, you could, if you look at it from that perspective, we could, we could say, oh, well, we should be bringing someone else in. But all of these lads haven't necessarily... And that che- checks had a very poor season. Yeah, checks had a very poor well, yeah. season. All of which is, is absolutely fair, but but I don't support any of those other teams, you know, and I, I think the, the the problem is that ultimately it's not my job. You know, I, I don't, I, I'm not a scout. I don't know who's better, who's going to be better than him yeah. in goal for our team. I don't know. I, do, I barely even watch other teams unless we're talking about Liverpool. We're talking about transfers before. I haven't got a clue who Ryan Sessegnon is. Wasn't there a Ryan Sessegnon who was about 43, used to play for Stoke or something? Yeah, yeah, you yeah. Know, Stoke I, and Sunderland. I don't know who. It's not know, that one. I'll just clarify. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's not the up and coming left back. he's been doing well for 16. <laughs> um, but so I don't know. I, you know, that's not it. But what I, what I do know is that we are on course for having four seasons with Simon Minnelli as our number one goalkeeper and four seasons where we've conceded around the 50-goal mark. And you've got to go back as far as Everton winning at Anfield. Everyone thought it was Martin Scott. Everton winning a derby to find that. (laughs) Okay, this is the Anfield app on Radio City Talk. After the break, we'll be chatting to Jeff Stelling about his walk for prostate cancer. Welcome back to the Anfield Wrap on Radio City Talk. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I spoke to Jeff Stelling about his march uh, for men, uh, Prostate Cancer UK. I made a long chat and this is this is how it went down. Made up to be joined now by Jeff Stelling to talk about his march for men, which is coming through Liverpool, uh, coming through Liverpool on the 7th of June. Uh, before we get into that, you know, we'll uh, we'll, we'll talk through all the, the stuff about how it began. I mean, it was, it was hugely successful last year, Jeff. I mean, it, uh, it was a big, big march last year. You and your, your, your friend uh, Russ Green, who used to be Hartlepool Chief Executive, and you're trying to do even more this year. Yeah, well, we thought we'd, you know, try and do it again while we can, you know. <laughs> Yeah, last year it was 10 days, so it was 262 miles, I think it was. So it was, well, it was 10 marathons in 10 days, but it was mainly down the east side of the country. Mm-hmm. Um, so this uh, time we thought we'd try and do something a little bit different. We're mainly taking in the, the west coast, and it's 15 marathons in 15 days. So, um, I, I'm, well, I must be crackers, you know, because to be honest, Neil, I mean, I was knackered last time. So this one... Is, is going to be more of a challenge. But look, the response uh, last year was brilliant because we were just out to try and raise awareness. You know, that was the whole thing, awareness about prostate cancer and the people who were vulnerable. And we ended up bringing in, I think, 420 grand as well. And it, it was great. All the football clubs that we went to were fa- fantastically supportive. 
you know, brilliantly supportive. I'm sure we're going to get more of the same this time. I don't want to put you on a pedestal, but it says here you're 61, and I found that hard to believe. It's a, it's a long way to travel. 61 years old to cover to cover fit as you say 20 26 miles across 15 days, back to back days as well. There isn't a single break in there. Yeah. Starting on the starting on the second of June, working until the 16th of June. It's it's a huge ask, and I think if I also get this right, I think there's a point where you're walking across the Pennines. Yeah, yeah, we go across the Pennines as well. So you know. I'm not sure about that bit, <laughs> but we had to get we had to get across from one way or the other because the idea is it's St James's Park Exeter, yeah. St James's Park Newcastle, you know. So um, there's got to be a flat bit in there. You're gonna have yeah, to say something. Is, well, is, is there a flat Pennine? <laughs> yeah, yeah, there might be. I'm hoping we're gonna find it. As Paul Merson said when he first saw the route and he saw it started in Exeter and finished at Newcastle, he said, "You're crackers." He said, "That's uphill all the way." <laughs> you know, that's, that's his idea of um, yeah, that's his idea of geography. So yeah, and hey, I tell you what, Neil, I wish I was, I wish I was sixty-one, but I was sixty-two a couple of weeks ago, so it's even worse. Sixty-two? <laughs> oh my words! I mean, I, it, there's also local events that people can get involved in. I'm going to give the shout now, and I'm going to give it at the end of this. So if you're listening, you've got to, you need to get yourself a pen. Don't worry, you've got a bit of time. It's prostatecancerukorg forward slash Jeff's March for the website, and we'll tweet that out as well. Uh, so that'll be on the Anfield Raps Twitter if you're looking for it. But just to sort of say the, the thing that you want, and you've said it there, it is partially to raise money. But it is also the awareness question. And the awareness question is around so many aspects of men's health, Jeff. You know, yeah. we all know, you know, it's uh, the awareness question's the key thing, really, is just making people aware of sort of how the body's function to stay on top of situations, to take regular checkups all the way through your life, not just when you reach a certain age, but to ensure that, you know, you're, you're, you're aware of what your body's trying to tell you. Yeah, you know, and, and especially if with the prostate cancer, you know, I won't bore you with all the figures because it's depressing. You know, one man in eight is the UK that will get prostate cancer at some stage. You know, one, what, if you're black, it's one in four. Mm. I mean, that, that, they're scary figures. And you know what, like, Neil, especially northern blokes, you know, um, you don't want to go to the doctor at any stage. Yeah. And if it's anything to do with anything below the waist, you certainly are not going to the doctor. You know, we just want to try and change that attitude a little bit, you know, because the big thing about prostate cancer is that it, it, if you catch it early enough, it's one of the easiest forms of cancer to treat. If you don't catch it early enough, you know, it, I mean, it, obviously, it's a first of all, it's a killer. Mm. My mate Bill Arthur, who works on, you know, Sky Sports Rugby, you know, is a sufferer, and he said, you know, it is the most humiliatingly emasculating illness, um, you know, and, and, and he's suffered it for a couple of years now uh, and really struggled with it. So we just want to make people... Just aware, you know, catch it early, beat it, no problem at all. You know, ignore it, and then you could be, you know, in a bit of difficulty. So that they had about raising awareness, you know. And football, look, we all know these days. When I first started to go to matches, you know, I remember my sister first took me to a Harlepool match, and there were about five thousand of us there. They were the good old days, you know. Uh, and four thousand nine hundred ninety-nine of them were men. Yeah, you know, she was the one woman, but. The, that's changed now and changed for the better, which is great. But nevertheless, you know, the big cathedrals um, of football around the country are still, you know, the home of a lot of men. And that's, that's why we've concentrated on football clubs, you know, to try and get our message through. Because we want to make sure Anfield, you know, in years to come, every single seat is taken by blokes who are there now, yeah. you know, and, and survive you know, whatever form of, of illnesses they get. 
Yeah, I think it's, as I say, I think the, the awareness part is absolutely huge. And I think, you know, the other thing that's happening as part of the awareness right the way through is you're going to be joined by by people for different stages of the walk, uh, you know, people in the game, people uh, with, with, with other sorts of profile. And that, that's happening on the, the 7th of June when you're coming from Chester uh, via Liverpool, via Tramia. Uh, and, and and across to, to to Goodison Park, that's where you're ending that leg. You want you want that feeling that there's you know there's the, 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 you're going to have a lot of people with you, and you're more than happy to sort of be be greeted along the way and, and walked with for a while by members of the public as well. Oh yeah, you know that um, it takes a long a long time to walk 26 miles. You know, and, <laughs> and, and my idea of of it is to, to talk to as many people along the way as you can. You know, and some of the people will be walking with us that day. Will uh, be living with prostate cancer, know somebody who's suffered from prostate cancer, or in some cases they'll be dying from prostate cancer, but, you know, they, they want to do their bit as well. So, yeah, I mean, the more people we see, the better, you know, and of course there'll be a, a springing of celebrities. I mean, I don't know who's coming yet. I know that Phil Thompson's going to do, you know, whatever his knees can manage. Mm-hmm. Um, and that there will be a lot of, you know, football people. There might be, you know, the, the odd... Um, TV celebrity as well. There might be the old politician or two, whatever your politics are. A lot of politicians helped us out on the first uh, walk last year. So, um, yeah, so, so come along, get involved, say hello, you, you know. Give me some stick for what I've said about Liverpool, <laughs> that sort of thing. I, I don't mind. I honestly don't mind. It'd be brilliant. We can talk, you know, we can talk football. We can talk prostate cancer. We can talk anything you like. There you go. So it is on the 7th of June, the 7th of June from Chester uh, through, presumably through Tramier into Liverpool and then Everton. Yeah. That's the way I'd route it, Jeff. I mean, you know, I don't, I don't know if they've got you going around in circles, crossing rivers and all of that sort of stuff. But all the way not. through, go, go on, Jeff. I hope not. I was going to say last year, <laughs> you know, the worst bit was last year, we got to Wembley. You could see Wembley was about two miles away. But to make sure that we've done the right number of miles, <laughs> We had to walk round and round and round Wembley Stadium before we could go into the finish, and that was that was really disheartening. So this year, the most direct route, please. Well, definitely. So all the way through, it starts at Texas at St James's Park, ends at Newcastle St James's yeah. Park, all the, mostly up the west coast uh, of the yeah. of, of England slash the United Kingdom on the way through, and then crossing the Pennines. It's all at, uh, as I said earlier, on prostatecancerukorg forward slash Jeff's March, and you can see it all there. What the route is, wherever you're listening in the country across this, when it's podcasted, if you want to get to one of the walks, as Jeff says, there, I'd be more than happy to see you. The one for the local area, seventh of June, Chester through to Goodison Park via Anfield via. Uh, Prenton Park will be absolutely fantastic and it's all to raise awareness for prostate cancer so do tell your mates do submit some money if you can but just turn up support any way you can and let people know brilliant to speak to you Jeff Jeff uh, before before you disappear off uh, very quickly because uh, um, normally this sort of thing who are your three sides to go down oh to go down blimey Um, well I mean you know look I'm a North East boy it breaks my heart but Sunderland and Middlesbrough uh, certainly two of the three um, just to just to just to allow the, the the listener to know that you and I, Jeff, we're recording this on the fourth of April. So yeah. it's before those midweek games. There'll be two fixtures between when when whatever Jeff says next and whether or not he goes out. So you might be laughing at him after this. Go on, Jeff. Who's your yeah, third? And I don't mind. I can have a laugh. You know, I mean, I tell you what, there are a couple who are not safe yet. Crystal Palace, fantastic win at Chelsea the other day, but they've got terrible, terrible fixtures to come. But I think it's the bottom three as it is as we're speaking. So I think it's probably going to be Hull as well. You know. Um, it, it's, a, it, it's a rotten thing to be going down, but hey, you know. Someone's got to. That's the rules. Someone, someone's got to. And look, Newcastle are coming back up, and, and you know, St. James's Park, always a good place to go. And I know Liverpool and Newcastle games are always crackers as well, you know. So, 
So that's something to look forward to. Excellent. This is the Anfield Wrap. We'll be looking ahead to Liverpool's game against West Brom just after this. Don't go anywhere. Fantastic to speak to Jeff. And uh, remember, to, remember to pass on the message about prostate cancer back in a second. It was brilliant to speak to Jeff. Um, we've got a code. If you want to be part of, of what he's doing, uh, there's a registration fee of uh, £25, but we've got a code at the Anfield Wrap where that would be reduced by £10. Uh, so if you put TAW2017 in, uh, once you picked your day, uh, which day six, if you're, if you're, if you're based in the Northwest, I suspect, but not necessarily, you get sent to an Eventbrite form and you add the code and it's to, as part of the registration fee, but we, the reduction of 10 pounds, TAW 2017, if you want to do that. So, you know, bear that in mind, if you're going through the process and obviously then also raise some sponsorship money. And if you're doing it, let us know. And we're obviously going to be tweeting it out as well. Uh, so we'll tweet out a link for you to get to, uh, but also, uh, prostatecancerukorg forward slash Jeff Smart is the link and as I say when you get to the end TAW 2017-2017 is the free code uh, in order to get the right is, is the code in order to get £10 off your registration fee okay this is the Anfield Wrap after the break we're going to be turning our focus towards West Bromwich Albion versus Liverpool and Tony Pulis's lads it's the Anfield Wrap on Radio City Talk and the focus now on to West Brom We'll be speaking to Dan Craig and Adam uh, in a little while, but before then, I've got Sean Rogers in who comes to talk to us to dissect games after the fact, and he'll be doing this about this one. But I think we can probably dissect this one before the fact, uh, Sean. West Bromwich Albion versus Liverpool at the weekend. And there's not going to be any surprises, I don't think, from the West Bromwich Albion manager. Possibly not. I think in terms of what we're going to face, I think we are going to face typical Poolis, typical West Brom. So I think in, in that regard, we know exactly what we're going to get and so probably does everyone. I think one thing that might be a little bit of a surprise is, is we've just been we've just been having a chat off air that oh, they were away from home, but when they went to play Manchester United, you didn't get a typical kind of Poolis kind of setup really. Um, it, it was very much, a, you know, a 4 5 one. He loaded the midfield and he had his two wide men in there. And quite often with Poulos, he'd have like a 4 4 2 and he might have one dropping off the, the, the striker. But it really was a 4 5 one and it was a proper rear guard action. You know, it was quite as amusing as it was seeing Mourinho after the game um, complaining about it. You know, that's what we, that's what I'm trying to allude to, really, that the style of what he's looking to do isn't going to be any different against us. What might be a bit interesting is, because we've played the back three, and I think all of us are thinking that, at the very least, it's probably going to be there against West Brom. Wouldn't be surprised if we see it against Crystal Palace. What then happens after that? You know, I wouldn't be surprised if we go back to a normal club mm. 4-3-3 thereafter. But if you're going to have the back three, one of the things that could cause us problems is if McLean and Chadley, who, who played wide against Manchester United, if they try and get down the sides of our back three. And if this game was at Anfield, I'd say that wouldn't be a problem because they're just going to, you know, every man's going to be within 20 yards of their penalty area. But with them being at home and it's a free hit as such, I just wonder whether he might be tempted to stick with a 4-5-1 and maybe say to his wingers, look, when you get the opportunity, if there are any gaps, it's going to be, in, you know, we don't know who Klopp's going to play his wing backs, but try and get into them spaces in behind and... The other problem with the back three system is you can invite a lot of crosses in. So, you know, that's going to suit Poulos and, it, and it's, it's mentality perfectly, isn't it? We, well, we talk, when we talked about the Stoke the Stoke three at the back and the, 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 the thought process that led to it, one of the things was that Stoke had been playing 4-4-2 against, uh, against both Chelsea and Manchester City. That's right, yeah. And Liverpool gone the, the three. Do you therefore think he might? We're all presuming, and I've been I've been thinking this is the case. I mean, you know, all season, Pulis really hasn't had. I think if he had maybe one more quality forward, he might consider going four four two a little bit more often. But all season, 
most of the time it's it's very rarely been Rondon and Robson Canoe. Yeah, he's yeah. used Chadley up there. He's used people up there, but he's not. I think he's good at picking his games, isn't he? There's yeah. two sides to pool us, to be fair, and that's why they very are where much they so. are. Yeah, that's why that's why he's good at what he does. Yeah. And 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 he he he, he chooses his games and picks and chooses his games very, very well, doesn't he, to be to be fair to him. And I think, yeah, I I think both managers is quite interesting, you know. I think the actual style of what both managers are going to do is what it is. The only interesting thing is going to be the, the selection, where the players are put. Because, you know, even in his team that he's picked recently, there's a couple of names there where if you were to look at the lineup, you're not too sure where they're going to play. Chadley and Brunton. Chadley, you'd expect to see more through the middle, but you pointed out to me before, Andy, actually been using them wide. And, yeah. and using Brunt through the middle, and you might have thought he used Brunt wide. Yeah. But he's clearly got something in mind. Yeah, and he can flip them, right? He can play on the other sides, he can invert them. And the same with Klopp at the moment, you know, you look at the, the lineup pre Stoke. The, there could have been a number of different systems. Players could have played in a number of different roles as well. Uh, we, you know, discussed at length, you know, where Milner played, and you could have moved Klein, and you could have. There's various players in there that you could have moved around. So I think it is going to be interesting. But the styles of the manager, both managers, are, are pretty ingrained, and I think the kind of game we're going to see, we all know what we're going to see. I think it'll just be interesting if there are any little tactical changes or interest in selection changes it'll be interesting to see like what's behind that what were they trying to expose what are they trying to benefit from that it was one of the things that struck me with the um the selections you you said that you want your ball players in the back three at the back to actually be in the wide areas whereas liverpool's most comfortable center half on the ball is arguably matip yeah he's got had the back issues recently i wonder if again if there might be if that might change at the weekend, whether there's a look at maybe bringing Lucas into the back three uh, to have him be able to play some football in there. If there's a look at maybe looking at uh, trying to get Clavin out of it, it may be, I don't think he will, because I think he'd stick with the back four if this was the case, but maybe using Klein the way in which Chelsea have used Azpilicueta in yeah. there is more of a, there's, if Liverpool can stick with a back three is what I'm saying, and it can be, it could be three completely, well, not three completely different players, but you can arguably make two changes, at the very least make one. Yeah, I don't. Th- I I don't think he will. No, I don't, I wouldn't. What I wouldn't be surprised if you see a similar back five. Maybe see Trent come out, Klein in Milner, Milner back on the left hand side. Potentially, a lot depends on what he does with his with his front three, um, and and that'll probably set the tone for the rest of the team. I suspect, but um, I I would like to see him move Klein into the right sided centre back position of the three. I, just about keep Matip in the middle. And then move Lovren back over to the left, where I think he's a little bit more comfortable. It's a bit of a catch twenty two because really the middle player in the three, you need him to be your sort of best communicator, and he's the one that really is setting the tone for everybody. He should be setting, you know, uh, both with and without the ball, where everyone should be, where your lines are, things like that. But yeah. it's weird. It depends what kind of system you play. Like the old school, like nineteen nineties. Sadly, when we were growing up, mate, sweepers. Sweepers were your best footballers. There was talk of Jamie Redknapp playing sweeper. Yeah. England had a look at it, like under twenty ones and stuff. Jan Mulby used to drop in there for Kenny. Ronald Koeman, fantastic example, you know, as a player at Barcelona of it. Whereas actually, it's your wide centre backs who get the space. It's your wide centre backs who get get the time. So, you know, you're you're a bit knackered if your best communicator is also your best footballer. The thing is, I haven't seen any evidence of Matty, but I can only go from when I've been in the ground. I haven't really seen any any examples of him being like a Carragher type who's marshalling the back three or the but back the mo- four The most you've seen is, for instance, him, is ta- him telling him to keep playing. We yeah. saw him do that when, for instance, yeah. Lucas passed it to Vardy, go right the way back but in September. The biggest, we haven't got anyone else left side that you'd want in there other than Lovren. So therefore, I think you've you've got your bed, you've got a line in. I think you've got your options are, do you prefer slotting Klein in there, having 
I think he'd suit it really well, but we've not seen it. He won't have played there before, I suspect. Um, won't have had, well, we've had, what, the best part of this week to practice, I suppose. Or whether he says, do you know what, I'd, I'd rather, if this is only a temporary thing for a couple of weeks, you know what, I'll keep clapping in there. Lover will just have to do a job on the right-hand side. I think that's what you're going to see him do. I'd rather see him climbing. I think up top, you know, I'd be really excited if we could get... I think it's too early for Sturridge to be in there, but if we if we can work tactically with the Ridgey in terms of how to play that system a, a bit better. I think last week against Stoke, without a portion and blame, the other 10 were trying to do something and a Ridgey was trying to do something completely different, but both probably made sense. Mm. And, and it looked really... Um, distorted to me I think if you can get Coutinho and Firmino in them little positions in behind him I think that would su- if you said to them too where do you want to play who do you want to play with mm. they're both going to say we want to play in them positions with each other uh, and I think from what you saw in little spells against Stoke that could be really devastating so I'd really like to see Coutinho and Firmino line up there and you know if Origi plays really well and it works great after what you saw last week I'd be really excited about seeing that well I'd be excited about seeing Daniel Sturridge come on as long as we're winning, <laughs> as long as it's not an emergency break glass kind of moment. So, you know, for us, that looks really solid up there. And I thought Channel and Alden knitted together brilliant second half as well. So it can't, it, it, it's interesting well, what it's, he does with Trent and Milner there. I, I, well, I think it sort of suits him down the middle of the pitch once you get beyond the back three, which is the key part of the back three. So, you know, to be fair, but, you know, you are looking there. It's, I, I was really pleased with Channel and Alden. Really pleased with Coutinho and Firmino, certainly under the circumstances for Coutinho, especially for that 25 minutes. And then I think Origi for an hour and Sturridge for 30. Yeah, how good was Sturridge's attitude? You know, I've heard um, I've heard John say on the show that, you know, Sturridge isn't lazy. He's just not got the ability anymore to get about the pitch in the way that, in, in the way that in the first couple of years when he was with us, that he did have that ability back then. He just hasn't got that ability anymore. And And to be fair, you know, you think it's completely different. I remember watching Ian Rush at 35, 36, thinking, yeah, he probably does need to move on. You weren't seeing Ian Rush chasing down the defenders as you did in, in the early 80s. And like, he still was trying to have a go, but it, you haven't got the body and the, and the ability to do that anymore. And I think with Daniel, I thought the most impressive thing was, you know, I think everybody's got the vibe. He's probably got the vibe himself, no doubt, that there's a big chance he's going in the summer. Yeah. He's not been involved much. Um, he came onto that pitch how you'd expect an 18-year-old academy player to come on, just so enthusiastic, really hungry, and he showed immediate, like immediate quality. He was absolutely fantastic. So I think the interesting thing with Sturridge will be, if he's going to be doing that regularly off the bench, how long can you keep that motivation up for? Because I don't care who you are, you know, if, if you're an elite professional, you want to be starting. And if, you, if you're in a catch-22, if you come off the bench and do well, the manager's going, great, I'll just keep bringing you off the bench. And you're going, mm. well, no, the reason I'm coming off the bench and doing well is because I want to start. And that's the carrot that's dangling for me. So I'm doing that so that you start me, not so that you go, oh, great, well, I'll just keep bringing him on at 70 and it works well. So that'll be the man management issue for Jürgen. And, but, I th- and I th- but I think this week, though, it's, it seems quite straightforward. It's yeah. another week. I, th- I wonder whether... He gets away with it this week. If he comes on and does well again... Then maybe there's a question around Palace, a question around yeah. Watford. And rightly so, you're knocking on the manager's door, aren't you? You know, I know I would. So what more do you want me to do? Yeah. How do I, tell me how I get in the team. And that's Jürgen said that before in a really good BBC interview that he said, I don't want anyone kicking off about not being in the team in the lead up to the game. You know, after the match, by all means, say, what is it that I need to do to get in? And that's the conversation that, that needs to take place. So, you know, hopefully that's a conversation they've got to have next week because it shows that Daniel Sturridge has come on and done the business. Uh, what are you expecting from the game then overall? Do you think it's, it's one which Liverpool obviously can win? It's one which would be fantastic to win given the context of everything. How do you see it playing out? 
I I think between now and the end of the season, on a lot of these games, the first goal is so crucial. I would like to see Liverpool play early doors quite direct. Just make sure we've got the territory, to be honest with you, to be in their half early doors, keep our concentration. and get, I think if we'd have got the first goal against Stoke, that could have been a, a lot easier than it worked out. I think it could have it could have been a really bad day for them. Whereas actually they've come away going, we should have won that. We've missed two big chances at key times where we either make it 2-0 or, or we equalise and make it 2-2 and then it's game on. And I think for Liverpool, I feel the same. I think if West Brom get the first goal at home, nothing to play for, it's, it's going to be a tough afternoon for us there. I think if we get the first goal, then with the flip-flops out a little bit, some of the artillery we are now seeming to have on the bench for us. So I actually think the first goal will define it massively. Uh, and it's easy to say, you could say that about any game of football to be fair, but I actually think it would, in this instance, it could be a route some of these games for Liverpool if we get the first goal. Whereas if they get it, I can see it being a really, real tough day at the office. Okay, huge thanks to Sean. Uh, let's get back over to Craig, uh, to Dan and to Adam Smith and see what they make of him. Always good to speak to Sean, uh, but back now with Dan, um, Craig and Adam to have a little look ahead to the West Brom game. I mean, it's it's full of questions, Craig, uh, this one. Um, and it's... Are you expecting to see the three at the back? Uh, I'm not, to be honest with you, no. Um, I think with the players that should come back into the starting lineup next week, I expect to switch back to, to the four. Uh, I generally think like last week it was just a case of Klopp looking at the players that were available to him, senior players, seeing that, you know, obviously we, we, we had plenty available defensively, not so much further forward. And I think he just said, oh, we'll try this and see how it works. Uh, obviously not particularly successfully. Um, I thought it exposed Clavin and, and Lovren especially. Um, and yeah, I'd expect him with, with Firmino continuing coming back into the team to, to switch back to the uh, to what we've seen previously, to be honest with you. Do you think so? I think so, yeah. Uh, do you not think that you might you might be thinking with the, with the coming up against Stoke, West Brom, back-to-back, maybe one eye on Palace as well, that he might want to deal with the physical the physical elements and think his, his way home on that three centre-backs? Yes, but then again, you look at how we performed in the first week, first first half last week, and you know that might sway his sway his mind again. I can see, I can see what you mean. Uh, it's a possibility, but I think you'll you'll switch back. What do you expect him to do, Dan? Um, yeah, a little, little bit of both. I expect him to switch back myself. If I'm being totally honest, but you know, it's difficult to pick two centre halves at the moment for Liverpool to, to play the three of them. Is um, and like like Craig's, I think it exposes Lovren even more when, when he's asked to do something slightly different. Um, I'm not a fan of Clavin. Like, you know, I, I don't think he's good enough to play for us. It means you're throwing him in as well. And it's not as if it's um, it's not as if any of them have particularly helped us dealing with set pieces in any of the games they've all played. So I, I, I don't know. I don't know really. Plus, well, our, our best left wing back, I'd suggest, would be Moreno, and he's definitely not going to play him. I, I don't like the switch in a client and all sorts of mad things. So I, I, I expect him to go back. Like Craig's expecting to go back to, to him, back to his basic. Do you expect him to go back? I honestly don't know. I I think I wouldn't be totally shocked to see him stick with the five at the back, but maybe with different personnel. Like I wouldn't be surprised if Lucas came in for Clavan, for example, um, for a number of reasons, not least of which is that it's widely acknowledged that he's very good in the air. Um, I think he wants the physicality. There's two ways of looking at it, isn't there? There's, there's one where he could look at it and say, well, I tried it for a period against Bournemouth to get ready for uh, to get ready for Stoke and it, it didn't really work in either of them or the other way of looking at it is he used it in Bournemouth and then he used it in Stoke and West Brom are, are always going to be the the I think part of the problem with it in, in Stoke is that he used it and was expecting to go up against the, the Grox and they weren't there 
actually, because if you, you know, you there was, there was only it, Walters. He didn't yeah, do Crouch only, as well. He didn't or... do any of that, and he, and he, and they, and they didn't really do the sort of uh, long ball tactics that you'd expect. They were actually trying to play it with Shakiri and Allen, where you know when he was on the pitch. And I think part of the part of the problem is that he he picked a system that was to deal with loads of long and high balls, and then never got or didn't really get many long or high. Walter balls. still scored as well. Well, yeah, and yeah, and Walter still <laughs> scored, but it wasn't score. it wasn't um, it wasn't a goal that you yeah. would have expected a Stoke a Walter to score in a Stoke yeah. team, was it? Um, whereas West Brom, best will in the world, Tony Pulis' side isn't playing decent football. They haven't got Shakira, they haven't no, got they Allen. Go. They're going long ball. That's all. That's all it's going to be. So the five at the back system might work better if you're playing against the team that are actually going to do what you have prepared the five at the back for. With that in mind, then you're all going to have very different outlooks on what you expect the the the, the side to be uh, to some extent. I mean, the key thing is uh, on it, Dan, is Liverpool. No matter what shape you play, there's ways to deal with this, and one is ensure that you don't give away certainly cheap set pieces. That's cheap free kicks. Yeah. That's corners. It's retain possession. It's it it it's it be constantly sensible. I think is the is is the way home against this sort yeah. of side. It's not put yourself in the position, and but also when you do get in the position, remember it's just a corner. Yeah, I, I think you've got to get at them as well, and and try to just dictate the play fully. And if you've got like all your, your best attacking options on the pitch, hope to have the ball in their half more than your half as well. You know, just 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 go at them, don't sit back. But it, I get Adam's point about starting Lucas, but what you've just said then, the reason I wouldn't, because I do think it's going to be a dangerous game. And he's, he's the um, the key suspect for giving away mad free kicks in places. So you've got to just keep it to a minimum, like you're saying. Just, just, I'd, I'd personally go our best attacking team. I'd probably change it slightly and make sure that you've got Sturridge and Arigi up top somehow. You know, and Firmino, even if it was a 4-4-2 diamond, go for that. You know, that, that that's what I'd play. You know, if it was me doing it, I'd go 4-4-2 diamond and just get at them. I think their defence would be massively worried to see them three lining up with Coutinho behind them as well. I, I, I just think scoring the first goal is going to be key. Yeah. I seem to say this about almost, almost every single game we play, but I think here, you know, uh, West <laughs> it, Brom... It is a football truism, but <laughs> it's a point anyway. Because West Brom, you know, they, they generally don't have much to play for. Obviously, they've lost at home last week. They want to bounce back. But, you know, if you, if you do get that first goal, get in front, then you'll really see how how interested they are in the football match, you know what I mean? Uh, I could I, I expect them to be up for it. Uh, I think Pulis will have them up for it the first 20. So maybe a case of trying to get through that first 20 and then trying to get the first goal. I think if we do, then we'll win the football match. If not, then it could get complicated. So It's it's one where I think I've got a lot of time for that, really. You almost want to... Uh, it's going to take... Liverpool, I think, have shown a lot of sense. And it's it's worth pointing out, I think Liverpool are unbeaten six. Uh, when John Gibbons actually tweeted this this week, it came as a surprise to me. And I've been talking about all of these games, so you'd think I'd remember. <laughs> Liverpool are unbeaten in six uh, with four wins in there. But what they've shown, I think, in amongst there is they've shown loads and loads of ability to see out periods of time in a game really quite effectively. The end against Everton, the end against Burnley. Uh, arguably, both Spurs and Arsenal, Liverpool just don't give them a sniff of coming back in. Bournemouth, it doesn't go so well, but they, they don't lose the game. It's very... Um, it is about managing these games at this stage of the season more than just going and playing blistering football. That's why I don't think Dan will get the team he wants, for instance. I think one of the interesting things with Liverpool this season is that there are loads of narratives about the football club that actually, when when you look at the bare facts, aren't necessarily true. We're mentally weak, but we've won more games coming from behind than any other team, for example. We can't beat the smaller sides, but we've gone away. You know, we've we've had loads of the smaller sides and beaten them. We, we have dropped points against sides that we shouldn't have, totally fair. But we've also won games against the, the smaller sides. And, and certainly at the start of the season, Anfield won them quite convincingly. 
we can't defend the lead, but we did against probably the best attack in the country in Manchester City on New Year's Eve. You know, one nil up and literally just defended for the rest of the game and won it. You know, there's a lot of there's a lot of things that actually the, the cold hard facts maybe don't agree with the narratives. Mm. The problem is that I think the players do agree with the narratives. <laughs> And I think sometimes, especially things like set pieces, yeah. you know, the, the, like I, I was um, having a, a chat on Twitter with Andrew Beasley the other day, who basically, you know, I just nick everything from. And he was saying that we've conceded 11 set piece goals, which is standard. You, you would expect a team to concede between 10 and 15, I think he said. And we've conceded 11. So there isn't that, you know, and, that, and that's pretty standard for the league. And yet, if you speak to anybody, you, 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 know, you know, watch Liverpool, we can't do anything about it. Every set piece is terrifying. It's, you know, I, I'm actually more scared when we get a corner than a, or a free kick than when the opposition does because we seem to be more vulnerable on the counter when we've got everybody forward than when they have. We are due a goal from a corner. Yeah, um, well, we are, yeah. And you, you wouldn't be surprised if of all the teams that we were to score <laughs> yeah, a goal from the corner nil, against, yeah. it'd be the one with, you know, 11 nine-foot players. Um so, you know, I, I just think it, a big part of it is the team realising that the facts don't necessarily line up with the narrative of what they can and can't do. The next thing on this is the week's rest as well on this one, Adam. I mean, the Stokes, and it still comes to the end of, of three games. When you try and play more precise football, I think one of the reasons why the bigger sides uh, who are trying to do a different football thing find the third game a little bit harder at times than their opponents is because they're trying to play a slightly more refined sort of style of football which means that you've got to be so switched on in every single aspect of what you're doing. And if anyone's a bit off, you've suddenly got a problem. But this is a week's rest. Uh, Firmino's had a week's rest. Uh, Coutinho's got another week, hopefully, where he's able to, to retain solids. Um, you know, you should. Sturridge has done another week of training. Liverpool should hopefully be in a position where they can where they can at least get whatever we decide, the, be- the best side on the pitch. We know there's no Henderson. We know there's no Lallana. We know there's no Mane. But of those who are available, Liverpool should have them and they should have them relatively well-rested. Emre Chan, for instance, might have gone three days without being bruised by something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I, I often think when I watch Liverpool play, I often think about what you said earlier in the season about how brave they need to be. And a, a lot of that comes in bravery in the passing, you know, p- passing it into space, passing it straight into feet when a player's got two men around him, things like that. And when you're tired, it's a lot more difficult to be brave and it's a lot more difficult to be precise with your bravery. Um, so the week's rest, you would you would hope uh, will will help. If he has been uh, determined to to maintain that five at the back, then you would think that a week's working on it will mean that that players will at least know where they're supposed to be on the pitch, uh, which they didn't necessarily against Bournemouth. Um, and yeah, and certainly as you say, players like Cham will 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 hopefully have had a bath and be able to uh, unwind his muscles and things. And Sturridge will be a little bit more raring to go, and he'll, he'll he'll doubtless be pleased with the performance he gave against Stoke when he did come on and, and almost change the game. Um, but you, it's you just never know, really, do you? You just never know which way things are are going to go and which Liverpool team you're going to see. Would you start Sturridge, Craig? Um, I wouldn't, to be honest with you. Know, I think I'd be looking at bringing Coutinho and Firmino back in. I think that they'll have benefited massively from this this uh, rest over the last week. Uh, obviously, had a lot of football, uh, two different continents over the, over the last couple of weeks. Uh, and I think I think you're looking at probably storage from the bench again, to be honest. Dan, yeah, I think you'd look on a storage from the bench. I'd, I I will personally play him. I, I think storage is fit fit enough to have trained and come on last week and whatnot. Although I get the option from the bench, I'd start him and give him sixty. You know what I mean? I'd, I think. Yeah. 
yeah, I was just going to say, I think I'd prefer to see a Rigi um, do, do the dog work, if you like, and then stories to come off the bench last 60 minutes. Uh, Adam, quick yeah. storage, either way? No, I wouldn't start it. Wouldn't but start I'd bring it. him on because I think it'd be exciting. Uh, it will be exciting. It's, there's nothing more exciting than Daniel Sturridge coming on. I, I found this the other week. Daniel Sturridge coming on, you're like, oh, God. <laughs> it's amazing. Uh, quick predictions, Adam. 2-1 again. 2-1, all right, it's great. 2-0. Really? Okay, Dan. Oh, stole it, 2-0. 2-0. Uh, all right. Uh, I'll be predicting a 1-1 draw myself. Uh, call me Mark Lawrence if you like. Uh, huge <laughs> thank you to... You see when he does the predictions on the BBC, he either goes 2-0, 2-1, 1-1 or, or 1-0. Uh, and, then, and then he actually does better. He wins that competition thing because he just goes for loads of sensible scores and then he gets some sort of lead singer of some awful band in and he goes 4-0. Uh, thank you very much anyway to Tom Vince and Craig Grimmer and Adam Smith, Sean Rogers and Jeff Stelling as well. Uh, it's been the Anfield Wrap this week. Take it easy. Sports Social Podcast Network.